grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When the divine service begins, God's name is invoked, and then we are addressed as beloved in the Lord. Before addressing what it means to be called beloved in the Lord, I would like to speak briefly about the invocation. You probably noticed that the pastor turns around a lot during the divine service. Through the course of the service, sometimes he's facing you, sometimes his back is toward you, and he is facing the altar. When he faces the altar, he is facing, this indicates that he is facing God. And when the pastor faces you, this normally indicates that something is being delivered to you from the Lord, such as a blessing or the word of God is being given to you through the voice of the pastor. And then when the pastor turns around and faces the altar, we are bringing something to the Lord. Of course, when the words of institution are spoken, this is a gift from God. So the way in which the pastor stands doesn't always match there. But but normally, when, when the pastor is facing the altar, we are bringing something to the Lord such as our prayers or our various songs, that is, our sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. For the invocation, the pastor is to say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, though, some begin the invocation by saying something like, we make our beginning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't think it's good when people do that because then the service is beginning not with God's name, but it is beginning with we. The focus is to be on our God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not on the we make our, not the focus on ourselves. When the pastor says the invocation, You may notice that some pastors face the altar when saying it, and other pastors, including me, face the people when saying it. When the pastor faces the altar, that is actually the more historic and traditionally the more common way of saying the invocation. And that's what the name, the word, the term invocation implies. God's name is being invoked. So we're speaking to God. His name is being invoked for his presence among us. So standing that way is certainly valid and certainly good. I prefer, though, the less common or perhaps less historic way, and that is to face the people for the invocation, because when the pastor faces you, this indicates that God's name is being placed upon you as it is also done in the benediction. By facing the people at the baptismal font, this is indicating that you are baptized into Christ. The very name by which you are brought into God's family is being announced in the divine service. You are being reminded of your own baptism that God's name is placed upon you. As the baptized, your identity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, 
That is what your identity becomes, his name. When the pastor stands at the baptismal font for the invocation and for the confession absolution, your own baptism then is brought to your attention and it indicates the forgiveness of sins pronounced in the absolution continues to flow forth from your baptism through Christ who died on the cross for your sins. And this is why, not long after I arrived, I asked if we could move the baptismal font to the front center. That way I can stand by the baptismal font and stand close to you with the invocation and with the confession and the absolution. Now, of course, that is my preference to face you. I find no fault no criticism at all for those who choose to face the altar. And I think most don't criticize one way or the other. I think both are valid. Now, upon hearing the invocation, the next words that the pastor speaks is, Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess, and confess our sins unto God our Father. These words, beloved in the Lord, are not empty words. They're not just something that we say every Sunday that gets boring. When, the chur when churches desire to rewrite the liturgy, attempting to make it more relevant for those who want no repetition, they do not normally recognize what they are eliminating when they keep on changing things. By calling you beloved in the Lord, you are being told of your standing before God himself. This appellation, beloved in the Lord, is the exact opposite of what Jesus is called after the Lord laid on our Lord Christ the iniquity of us all. In Isaiah 53, Jesus is described as despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, is esteemed not. And yet, now you are being called beloved in the Lord. While the world and enemies of the gospel and maybe enemies of you may think that you fit the description of Jesus in Isaiah 53, despised, rejected, sorrows, acquainted with grief, esteemed not, God does not think of you in those ways but he calls you his beloved. You are beloved in the Lord. And this is so because you are baptized into Christ. In fact, at both the baptism of our Lord Jesus and the transfiguration of our Lord, God the Father says of his son, this is my beloved son, beloved son with whom I am well pleased. There's no question that Jesus should bear this designation as being beloved. But now we are called beloved in the Lord. Such a privilege that is all because we are adopted into God's family through baptism and redeemed by our Lord Jesus Christ through his sacrificial death on the cross. In our own baptism, we are joined to the death of Jesus and our sins are drowned and die. In our baptism, we are also joined to the resurrection of Jesus, and so we arise to live before God in newness of life. To be God's beloved is to be deeply loved. To be God's beloved is to be cherished by 
God himself, that the Almighty God, who sees all your sins, now holds you in highest esteem. In fact, the Greek word there for beloved has as its root agape, which is unconditional love. What wonderful words that God calls you when you are invited to stand before him and confess, admit, to spill out your many sins. In today's gospel, we are called God's beloved children. I mean, today's epistle. Some may think that being called children is derogatory. For they think that the word children should be reserved for those who are not yet adults or those who maybe act mature or maybe those who are underdeveloped. But when God calls us children, and elsewhere he calls us sons, giving, God is giving us an elevated status, one that goes far higher than we could ever work to obtain. By being called children of God, God is revealing to us who we are by virtue of our baptism and our standing in God's family, which means we are standing alongside with our brother, Jesus. To be children of God means that we are viewed by God as having that same status as the Son of God himself. That same status from when the Father spoke at the transfiguration and the baptism of our Lord. This means that Jesus is our brother, and we are his brothers and sisters, and we share in his inheritance. The importance of this reality cannot be overstated. So if you ever wonder if you can truly be a Christian, as you see the law of God staring at you in the mirror as you see your various sins. Can you be a Christian due to the sins that you've committed, your failures, and the various temptations that you face? The answer to that question, can you be a Christian, is a resounding yes. After all, you do not obtain the forgiveness of sins or eternal salvation through your works or through your good intentions. Instead, everlasting life is granted to you as a gift of God's grace. God was not coerced or cajoled by man into sending his only begotten son to save humanity. Instead, God authored this plan of salvation and announced this plan of salvation right after Adam had eaten of the forbidden fruit, hid from God, and then blamed God for sending Eve into this world, giving him Eve. Because God had promised the coming of Christ, his son, to take away the sins of the world after those events had happened, we can see how this is all a gift of God's grace, God's sweet and loving grace. Our reading from Ephesians begins with the instructions, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus willingly died in our place. 
He was certainly well-pleasing to our Father in heaven as he perfectly kept the law and then offered his body as the sacrificial payment for our sin. His offering is a fragrant offering, but contrast that fragrant offering, that sweet-smelling aroma of a sacrifice that Christ made to our sin. Our sins, in contrast to that, are raunchy and dirty. They are filthy. They ruin us and our lives. They lead to temporal death. And if they are not taken away, our sin leads to eternal death. Turning from our sin, God calls on us to imitate him, for he is our true father and we are his true children. Our identity is found in Christ who covers us with his very righteousness. But yet, we are always tempted to turn the sins we commit into our identities. Our true identity is that we are Christian, redeemed by Christ, children of God, beloved in his family. And when we identify ourselves to the world, we usually do so according to the various vocations that God has placed us, where we live or what we do for a living, who our families are. And that identity, of course, is good and a first article gift. But now what are people wanting to do? Many are wanting to identify themselves in ways that are contrary to their Christian standing or vocation. Many insist on being identified in ways that are according to their sins or their sinful lifestyles. God the Holy Spirit guided St. Paul to write, sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. But in defiance to God and his word, people are now naming themselves according to these very sins. They say that they are gay or queer or transgender or their personal pronouns are they, their, or zzem. The covetous and those, that is, those who are idolaters because they are greedy for gain, want to be identified as successful or having business smarts or simply wise. It is interesting that the ways our world now insists that people must be identified according to their sexual deviancy or their lust for money, are the very ways that God in our epistle says that Christians are not to be named. When those in the world expect to identify themselves according to their preferred personal pronouns, they are claiming that God did not intend to make them, as he said, male and female, he created them. They are claiming to have an identity then apart from God. My fellow redeemed, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do not associate with them. Thus saith the Lord. As Christians, we are to walk in love. This does not mean that we can affirm sin or pretend sin to somehow now be good or something that is to be celebrated. 
As we heard in our epistle, we cannot engage in sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, idolatry, filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking. If we are guilty of these things, we repent and we cling to Christ who takes our sin away. For our, our new identity is in Christ and he has declared that we are children of God. And as God's children, he calls on you to be faithful, not faithful to the world or faithful to your friends who are calling on you to depart from the word of God, but you are to be faithful to your Lord. That means you do not give in to the world's ways. Your personal pronouns are what God says. God made you male or he made you female. Even if society says you must call certain boys girls or certain girls boys, God does not want you to go along with that. If employers force you to make a visit to the HR department for doing the right thing, so be it. For it is written, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And if you are an employer, this does not mean that you have to somehow guarantee personal pronoun protection of your employees. Yet at the same time, it is not wrong to employ those who are caught up with sexual immorality or other sins. They do need to eat too. God causes the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. They need to provide for their families. Perhaps through kindness, through faithfulness, and testifying the word of truth through them, you could then win them over. The world is covered with dark, the darkness of sin. We were once children of disobedience, for we had inherited the sin of Adam. But God has called us out of this darkness into his marvelous light. We are now light in the Lord. In fact, as is written in our epistle, we are children of light. As Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Rejoice, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that you have heard the truth despite the confusion that is all around us. You are illumined by this gospel, the saving gospel of Christ. The world will clamor for your attention and claim that it knows more than God himself knows. But as it is written, let no one deceive you with empty words. Instead, trust in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. For he never lies. And as you abide in his word, you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Your sins, though many, are taken away, and so you can draw near with a true heart and confess those sins before God, and he absolves you. Christ forgives you and counts you as righteous, for you are baptized into Christ. After all, he bore himself... He, after all, he himself bore our sins in, uh, in his body on the tree 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And now you see, you receive the fruit of his passion through the Lord's Supper, in which Christ continues to declare who you are, that you have union with Christ as you eat his body and drink his blood for the forgiveness of all of your sin. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We now rise to sing hymn 422 in place of creating me. Hymn 422. 